valley was gone. We hear just as heavy as lead, but we never get up to the mark and bring the breakfast up to bed. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of God's Own Scale, the only podcast that I know of that focuses on the smaller side of wargaming, and in particular 6mm. I'm really pleased to say that today I have Steve and Greg from Little Wars TV to talk about the Little Wars TV show on YouTube and the plans for the future now that the new season is here. They were great guests to talk to, and any fan of Little Wars TV I am sure We'll be excited to hear what is in store for the coming months. As I record this, it is the 19th of September 2020, and I'm afraid to say it looks likely the UK will be entering a period of lockdown in most areas, if not the whole country. If that's the case, I hope you keep safe and have a good stash of lead to sit and paint as the nights start to draw in and that God's own scale can accompany you through many a long painting session. The main hobby news, although technically not 6mm related, is the subscription deal that Peter Berry has launched to republish the classic Pony Wars rules. I'm sure many of you remember these from when they did the tours around the local shows up and down the country and they've held a special place in many a wargamer's heart over the years. I won't talk too much about it as I'm hoping to record with Peter this week to talk over the project in more detail. But anyone interested should head over now to www.ponywars.uk, not co.uk, just .uk, and check it out. Okay, a small hobby update and a couple of shout-outs will be coming at the end of the show, but that's enough of me wittering on. You're all here for the main attraction. Let's talk about six. Mademoiselle from Are you both okay? Have you got coffee or croissant or something to keep you going? I'm good to go. <laughs> I'm ready. All right, guys, let's go. Right, uh, welcome to this special God's Own Scale episode. Um, I'm not going to give it a number because I'm not quite sure when it's going to be released to the masses. But you will see from the title that this is a Little Wars TV special. Now, I've spoken to Little Wars TV last year when the podcast first launched, actually, and I, I spoke to... Greg, who's on the call now, but I've got double the fun because not only do I have Greg, I have Little Wars TV Steve with us. Hello, gentlemen. How are you both? Good morning. Yes, good morning, Sean. Happy to be here. Good. And it's a real honor to have you both on the call. Well, it shouldn't be. (laughs) No, it truly is. It truly is because, and I... I've talked about this many times on various podcasts, and I, I spoke about, about this with Greg, but the content that you put out is my preferred viewing of an evening. So whatever rubbish is on the uh, Netflix or whatever, Little Wars TV is always the preferred option. Well, I, th- I would appreciate if you let the BBC know that, uh, because we're, we're happy to accept offers for television <laughs> contracts. 
Uh, I could act as the agent, if you like, and do uh, be the middle guy for you, if you like. Well, it all depends on your fees. We can talk about that later. <laughs> I, I come very cheap, to be honest. At my age, I can't afford not to. Um, I, I mentioned, actually, in in passing last time that we spoke, Greg, that this the content that you put out is something that I would expect to see on the BBC, on, on BBC Two, which is sort of the more arts and culture and documentary channel. Um, I know you get BBC America over there, but uh, we, we have BBC One, BBC Two, BBC Three and BBC Four. But BBC Two is the sort of arts and, and culture side. And I, I could see this slotting in very nicely on a Monday evening, perhaps nine o'clock at night. Well, I'm a little disappointed to hear that you only think we qualify for BBC Two. Uh, I was hoping that we could step it up to like BBC Primary, but uh... Uh, well, that, generally, what will happen is if the viewing figures are good enough, then you will step up to BBC One. Excellent. That's what we're shooting for. Yeah, absolutely. If we if we can get you um, on national TV on BBC Two, then that would be a, a real feather in the cap, and then. Uh, when the millions and millions of viewers across the UK tune in, the, the BBC get the nod to say, yeah, we, we, this is time to step up to the big time now. So I know we're sort of, well, joking about this, but by the time this podcast comes out, we will have uh, we will have released a couple of our videos in early September. And in one of them, Mike Whitaker from, uh, you know, formerly Meeples and Miniatures podcast, uh, he talks about how he thinks that wargaming should be a television show and he gives a suggested format for it that follows a show that i had never heard of before i guess it's on bbc actually i don't know if it was bbc or one of the other networks over there have you heard of it sean it's a it's a a train show where they do model railroad layouts yeah absolutely and and that has entered into various discussion forums that you really are only one step away from wargaming there where you have uh, a group of like-minded individuals who have this love and passion for model railway setups. Um, and they, they're, I think they're given challenges uh, each week to create something within 10 minutes using a toilet roll and a pipe cleaner or something like that, minimal, minimal um, uh, raw materials. But it, it's apparently been very popular Um and the, one of the ladies that's on there, she's got a YouTube channel herself, which is fantastic for, and it's about creating scenery to that sort of model railway level. But there's certainly techniques on that YouTube channel that you could use in wargaming. So for me, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with Mike that from the model railway to miniature wargaming, particularly historical miniature wargaming, is, is really a very small step. Right. That that was exactly his point, and. Um... I think the greater point there is that if we're trying to figure out how to expose a wider audience to the hobby, then you have to start thinking bigger and you have to start wondering how can we kind of break out of the the forums and the niche areas where our hobby goers are right now and let mainstream audiences know how much fun this is. And it's neat to see that there's a show where people actually enjoy watching model railway making on television. I mean, if that's possible, anything's possible. I mean, and and it actually kind of goes back to kind of how we decided 
to start, and when I say we, I mean Greg and I, when we were first in the very early stages of talking about this project, what got me thinking about it, and Greg had thought about it, and you may have talked about this in the previous podcast, Greg had thought about some sort of TV show uh, a couple years, I think, even before I joined the club. I started thinking about it when, you know, I happened to walk into my living room and my wife is watching a television program on one of the channels that we have that was about, you know, fishermen off the north coast of Oahu. And I'm like, who the heck watches guys in kayaks fishing off the north coast of Oahu for half an hour, an hour, whatever it was? Your wife does. My, well, apparently, you know, I, I often joke with her about that. But, you know, I'm like, if people are willing to watch that, why wouldn't there be an audience watching, you know, the kinds of things that we do? Because we all know how much fun it is uh, and we know how creative it is. And, and there's history and there's gaming and there's terrain making and, and so many different artistic and historical aspects to the hobby. And uh, that's what inspired me to talk to Greg, which is when he told me about his original idea a couple of years before. And that all turned into Little Wars TV. You're absolutely right, because... Some of these niche channels and niche programs, I use that word quite a lot uh, around this podcast, but um, they they must have a viewership. And Ice Road Truckers or so, some obscure fishing program on one of the smaller channels on, on the network over here, you could easily see Wargaming fitting into that. And I certainly think that Wargaming is becoming more widely known about i was going to say socially acceptable but for me it's always so it's always been socially acceptable people perhaps aren't so keen to talk about it to workmates for fear of ridicule or lack of understanding but what can't be socially acceptable about something that includes academic research into the into the um, period that you want to game the artistic side of painting figures the um challenge of actually refighting the battle and trying to change history. Um, everything is there for me that would make it something that could be worth watching. Yeah, the raw material is definitely there, but all of those little weird television shows that we're talking about, they do share a common element. Even though some of them might be on very mundane topics, they have, they have great characters, and I think people are watching those shows because... First of all, they're getting a window into a strange world, but also they're watching interesting, entertaining characters. And maybe it's just going to take the right people in our niche, and that sure as hell isn't going to be Steve and I, uh, to, to get people interested. Actually, I think a guy like Richard Clark, a guy like Richard Clark is such a big personality, and you had him you know, on this podcast not too long ago. He's yeah. a great example of the, the kind of guy that it's going to take. You're just going to need like five or six Richard Clarks. Yeah, I, I think, to be honest, having that one big personality, and, and Rich is a big personality. If, um, if you ever see him at the shows in the UK, he really commands that demonstration of participation table where he runs these games. Um, he, he drives the narrative of the story that he's re recreating on, on the table. He's very welcoming of any stranger that comes up to the table and gets them involved. I know we've talked about this previously, Greg, about the difference between UK and US shows, but um, to get a UK customer at a UK show to stand around a table for an hour and roll dice is an art because generally they aren't interested. They, they just want to look at 
what's going on rather than become involved. And and Rich is that person who's got that that big personality that will draw people in. So um, I, th- I think having one person like that and then the uh, some different types of personalities around would really drive forward the message. Yeah, and I, and I think we try and do that. And I think some of our folks, our regular players, uh, it comes more naturally to them than others. I think if you go back and look at some of our early episodes and then look at some of our later episodes, you can see the growth that a lot of us have had uh, in our on-screen presence. So it's, it's, a, it's a learning process. But uh, I absolutely agree with you, Sean. I think having a number of people uh, with that kind of larger-than-life personality uh, and then I, I think the, the other side with making this some sort of successful TV presentation is you, and, and this has been an idea that Greg and I have shared or a thought that we've shared from the beginning, which is you don't want to get too much into the minutia of the game. Yes. Uh, you, you've got to keep it flowing. You've got to ha- build a narrative. And yes, you want to appeal to the hardcore war gamers who want to know, okay, what are the modifiers here? And what do you need to roll and stuff like that? But for people who aren't familiar with the hobby and maybe just getting into it, they don't really care about that. They, they care about the larger experience. And that's something that we very consciously decided to focus on from the start. Yeah. And I, I think that really is your unique selling point it's that you've cornered that market in the style of battle report that you present youtube is awash with battle reports that show every single dice roll with the shaky cameras and the poor lighting and and this isn't to criticize those because people still put a lot of effort and passion into their own project on their own channels but little what little wars tv do is professionalize that and uh, reduce that down into that half an hour um, episode that is easily digestible. I can't sit and watch a battle report for two and a half hours, or, or very rarely. Um, but I certainly can find time for 30, 40 minutes where we have the history, we have the setting, we have the context, and then the game itself. And really, you, you get the crucial dice rolls in there. Um, and also what comes across really well, and whether this is deliberate or not, I don't know, but the fun aspect of how much the people around that table are enjoying the game, whether they're winning or losing, everybody seems to, to me, it makes me want to hop on a plane and come over to you guys and, and, and stand around that table with you. I, I guess you're not getting an invitation. Uh, that was a, that was a. A very long and awkward silence. Uh, I was actually talking, but I had triggered my mute button. Uh, but uh, but no, you you actually would be welcome. And and I think you point to uh, something that we're very fortunate uh, with, and that's that we do have a really great group of guys who enjoy gaming together. Uh, you know, for the most part, what you see on screen as far as our personalities is fairly accurate. I mean, we t- with some of us, I think we take some personality traits and dial them up to 11, you know, if you're a Spinal Tap fan. Uh, and because you do have to be kind of bigger than life, I think, to, to really get across on, on any type of visual media. But uh, for the most part, we are just a bunch of, of goofy guys who enjoy gaming together. And so that comes across naturally, I think, many times. Yeah, and, and that is that winning formula, I think, where... Um, you've got the professional production values, but also it looks just like a typical club night game to me. So I've been a member of my club for many, many years, 
and been involved in many multiplayer games, stood around a table with a group of friends, and the experience seems very similar. We may be separated by uh, a little bit of water, but really the experience is the same. And that's that's why people enjoy the hobby. I mean, if you find a good group of people to game with, uh, it, it just... It, it multiplies the amount of fun you can have with the hobby immeasurably. Uh, and that's why, you know, we, I, I think some of the comments that we enjoy receiving the most uh, on the channel are from people who want to get into the hobby or are excited about the hobby because they've seen our videos. But the flip side of that, some of the, the saddest uh comments that we get are people going, I would love to do this, but I don't have anyone around me who also wants to do it. Or I can't find a club like you guys have or any club at all. And I think those, you know, to the extent that we can kind of try and help bring people together in some way so that people can find clubs to be in, I think that's probably one of the greatest services that that we could possibly provide in addition to just, you know, trying to bring people into the hobby at the outset. Yeah, and I know that we seem to have wandered way off schedule, but I know that that is part of the ambition for Season 3 coming up, isn't it? And we'll get on to talk about uh, Season 3 very shortly. Um, Just on that point, though, that's an interesting one because I've certainly had a couple of emails recently from people who've expressed the same thing, that, that they've got nobody around them who, who games, whether that's in this country, whether it's on the west coast of Canada, actually, um, where that person feels isolated from the hobby, from the physical aspect of the hobby, as in being able to stand around a table with a, a, grunch, uh, a group of mates, um, and that whatever the content is that they're uh, absorbing, whether it's your channel or whether it's this podcast, it makes them feel part of a whole part of a larger community. Yeah, one of the weird phenomena that that we've seen because we do get emails from people and I'm surprised with technology being the way it is, particularly with like Facebook groups, that it's not easier for people to connect. I mean, just this week I got two emails to our Gmail account from war gamers in Cape Town, South Africa, completely separate people saying that they wish that there were people in Cape Town, South Africa that had a club. And it's like, well, wait a minute. There's at least two. I mean, I just got an email from two guys. Yeah. That's the start of a club right there. Right. That's how ours started. But uh, the point is, how, how do you actually connect those people? And that's, that's sort of a separate problem that I'm not going to pretend that we're solving at Little Wars TV. I mean, we have discussed before, is there some way to help that? But uh, I, I don't. I don't know how to help those people try and connect, uh, but th- there has to be a way. Uh, and, and you would think that something like Facebook groups would be a, a good example of a place to start. Yeah, I mean, we're in, in a golden age, aren't we, where connectivity makes the world such a small place. It, it's allowing us to speak on this podcast, uh, 6,000 miles apart or whatever it is. Um, so the technology is there. I think people have perhaps just need a, a gentle push or a bit of guidance towards how, how best to do that. And I don't think it's always the responsibility of myself or your channel to be um, the pathfinders for that because there are other ways out there. There are other means out there where people can reach out because, you know, they, they'll do with family perhaps who, who live on opposite sides of the world. So, 
people perhaps just need a, a little push or a, a bit of guidance, I think, in that direction. Um, we've gone way off. I, <laughs> we've gone way off schedule, which is great. I love it when we um, go off uh, off piece, as it were. Um, I haven't even asked you both how you are. <laughs> we're living in a very strange world that didn't exist this time last year with the COVID situation and, and other things going on across the world. But how are you both? I think we're both relieved to be able to be wargaming together <laughs> as a club, finally. Yeah, I, that's absolutely correct. Uh, you know, it, it's obviously the world is a very different place. Uh, I, I think while obviously there are still plenty of concerns out there, and we all need to be careful and we need to be responsible with how we, we treat ourselves and how we treat others. Uh, I think we're all getting to the point where we kind of understand how it is we're going to have to live for the months to come until maybe there's a vaccine or something like that. It's certainly not normal, but we're learning to operate within it. And uh, that has allowed, as Greg mentioned, for us to, to start gaming again uh, safely with our masks on, which is extremely uncomfortable. But, um, but that's, that's an important outlet because, I mean, I've been working from home for almost six months now and I need to get out of the house every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes, those four walls um, are, are rather limiting, aren't they, during lockdown? For, fortunately, on, on this side of uh, the ocean, um, I've, I've worked pretty much throughout the whole, well, I have actually worked, worked throughout the whole pandemic, but I know friends who've not seen a face outside of their own family unit for, for months. So uh, that's pretty frustrating. Our club actually hasn't started to game uh, together. We haven't reopened. Uh, as yet, uh, we have some older members who fall in the risky category, um, but we are in early discussions about getting some face-to-face gaming again uh, very soon, hopefully. Um, so uh, you're you're back then, back at the that wonderful clubhouse of yours and uh, gaming face-to-face. That sounds great. It's a relief, honestly, because there was a, I don't know, a three-month period where we closed the club. Actually, pretty much right when uh, season two of our show ended is what coincided with the rise of COVID, and we had absolutely no material that was planned or filmed after that, so not only did we have to shut down gaming together as a club every week, we also pretty much had to shut down Little Wars TV because there was just no way for us to get together anymore. Yeah, it's 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 a strange world, isn't it? But hope certainly this side of the Atlantic, we look like we're just coming through it, and I hope that uh, on your side too that we're we're coming through and, and starting to see some green shoots of recovery, as has been a, a favourite phrase of our politicians <laughs> over here. So you, you've just mentioned season two there, Greg. Um, let's just have a, a recap of that because I don't think season two had launched when we last spoke. Um, how, how was that for you? How, how was that different to season one? And did it achieve the aims that you set out? Well, it was two episodes shorter, uh, but otherwise we used the exact same format, even though it was two episodes shorter. It was it was the same runtime. The episodes, by and large, were all a little bit longer. So uh, we saw great growth in the channel, great subscriber growth. Uh, I thought all the episodes, uh, you know, certainly were fun to do. There, there were two big surprises. Uh, and one of them I'll let Steve talk about at length. One of the big surprises is that when we went into Season 2, we had big plans for a Star Wars episode. 
and it was coinciding exactly with the premiere of Rise of Skywalker, and we, we, we planned it that way. We knew the episode would come out in early December for maximum Star Wars buzz, and we thought, oh, you know, this, this is going to be huge. You know, this is going to help us tap into maybe a, a whole new audience of science fiction or Star Wars fans who will come over and watch this, and and it really didn't pan out that way at all. I was a it was it was a fun episode. I mean, we had a great time making it. I actually think it's you know probably the most fun I've had making any episode because there's just so many Star Wars jokes and Easter eggs in there. But it didn't draw the audience that we thought, and you know maybe Steve, Steve can offer some theories on that. Uh, the the other huge surprise was Steve's episode. You know, Steve did the Asan Luana episode. And honestly, maybe he had different hopes for it than I did, but I saw that as a very, very niche topic. Uh, you know, sort of in line with the fourth Kawanakajima samurai episode. Yeah. One that I was excited to do and happy that Steve was putting it together, but I, I didn't think that was going to be anything massive. Uh, as it turns out, it's the most popular episode that we did in season two. More popular than D-Day, more popular than Trafalgar. I mean, it it blew all that out of the water. So I, that was a very pleasant surprise. Well, I, I can, uh, once uh, C's spoken, I'll, I'll give you um, a bit of a British perspective on, on that battle in particular. But Steve, yeah, you must have been blown away. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it had a potential to be bigger than Greg did, because as usual, Greg has a lack of vision. But, uh, you know, the, oh, no. geez. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, this is Greg and my relationship. But uh, the, the, Greg's fantastic. And actually, Greg's vision and my vision tend to be very similar most of the time, which is part of the reason why I think the, the production relationship works as well as it does. But I, I did have a sense, and, and I understood at the time that you know my, I personally have an interest in the Anglo-Zulu War. Uh, and so therefore, I think naturally there's that bias that, oh, this is absolutely, this is going to be an episode that people want to watch because heck, I want to, I would want to watch it. Um, but I also know that, you know, when we did the surveys at the end of, or towards the end of season one about what period you would like to see us game more, Colonial Wars was actually very high, uh, in the results. And if you're talking about the, the colonial era, you know, the Anglo-Zulu War always is one of those conflicts that's right up near the top. And then if you're talking about the Anglo-Zulu War, you're, you're basically, you know, people are going to know two names. It's Rourke's Drift, which I, I still struggle with trying to figure out how you turn that into a good war game. Uh, and then the other one is Asandalwana, which as much as people go, oh, well, how's that a good war game? Because the Zulus are just going to roll over the British. Well, you know, having studied the battle extensively, you know, and, and now having been on the battlefield and, and talked to experts and stuff like that, that, that battle was not a foregone conclusion, how that was going to turn out. And, um, you know, so I, I certainly thought that that had the potential to be a very popular episode. And if you go to any of the big conventions here in the U.S., you will usually see an Asandalwana game being run, usually on a board much bigger than ours and, and much more impressive looking. So I, I thought it had some legs. I would not have expected it to end up being our top episode of the season, however. There was no way that I, I thought it was going to outstrip Gettysburg and what we did with the American Battlefield Trust. There was no way I thought it was going to outstrip what we did with D-Day. You know, these are, or, or maybe even Trafalgar, because you're talking about battles that have much bigger, broader appeal. 
But uh, yeah, I'm extremely gratified with how it turned out. Obviously, I put a lot of work into it, uh, was able to, you know, share some of my experiences actually being there on, on the battlefield in South Africa. So I'm, I'm thrilled with how it turned out. But yes, a little surprised. Yeah, I'm sure you, you have figures um, of uh, downloads and views uh, from worldwide. But Sandal Warner is, is one of those iconic battles for any British wargamer uh, to have an interesting, clearly um, one of the largest defeats uh, of the British army, if not um, certainly of the colonial, colonial period. Um, and I, I found really interesting, actually, Steve, your chat uh, with the, the people at Fugitive's Drift to say, well, the, the emphasis on the British defeat sort of minimizes the Zulu victory. We should look on it as a Zulu victory more so. So, yeah, I mean, that that was one of the things, you know, when I interviewed Doug Rattray there at Fugitive's Drift, he that's that's something that is a subject that he speaks about on a regular basis uh, is that it wasn't just a, a British defeat. It was a Zulu victory. And it absolutely was that there was, there, there were tactics there that the Zulus had prepared and were using on that day. And yes, they, they used their numbers to the maximum effect possible. And then you couple that with what I, I think were some really poor decisions on the part of the British and, and you end up getting a fantastic Zulu victory and a, a devastating British loss. Yes, and as I mentioned before, it taps into that British psyche of um, the, uh, being defeated, but then re- uh, reclaiming some glory from Rourke's Drift. And I know that the academics and, and the historians would argue about the, the value and the significance of the, the battle itself at Rourke's Drift. Clearly, most of us who haven't done much reading around it would look to the film from 1963 as... Uh, being canon and being uh, entirely accurate. But we know that's not true, don't we? Yeah, and that that was perhaps, I mean, obviously I've, I've been watching Zulu for years. Uh, you know, I consider it obviously a much better film than Zulu Dawn, but have, have watched both many times. Uh, and, and it was then interesting to actually go to the real Rourke's Drift and compare it to the pictures in your mind that you have. Uh, and, uh, and, and there's a significant difference and, and, you know, kind of going back to one of your points about how this is very much in the British psyche, you know, when my daughter and I were staying at Fugitive's Drift, it's a, it's, it's a small, but fantastic lodge. I mean, I can't recommend it enough. The people are great. The experience is great. Uh, but you know, we were the only two, Americans there. Uh, everybody else that was there was was the the local staff and and other British tourists. And one of the first questions that you know they all asked to to me and and my daughter as we sat around the fire was, so why are you here? <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's it's not part of the American psyche. I can tell you that for certain. Yeah, I'm sure that was uh, far and above the most successful episode of season two. Then so. Um... One of, the, one of the things that interests me as, as a viewer is how do you plan these episodes? So you've got this interest, Steve, in the Anglo-Zulu War. Um, and I know that you've uh, painted thousands of six mil figures, uh, not just for that battle, but for some of the other shows. But ha- who is it who comes to the table and says, I'm interested in this battle. Can we do this as a show? Well, everybody. <laughs> 
uh, and I'm and I'm I'm not really joking. I, we all have our own separate interests, and you know, very often, you know, we'll have suggestions from a lot of different people, and it's usually based on the interests that they have, the figures that they have, uh, and then we have to figure out if and when we can make it work. Uh, and you know, from the start, there were certain battles that that I certainly wanted to do. Kawanakajima was in in season one was was certainly one I thought could be turned into a fun episode. Very obscure. Uh, no no surprise that that was our least watched episode from the first season. Uh, and then actually, I I planned our trip to South Africa before we even went live as a channel. Uh, so you know, planned that over a year in advance. And then when the channel blew up, it's like okay, well we should really do this because I'm going to be able to film right there and I'm willing to paint up the, uh, an additional thousand Zulus. I already had a thousand. Um, but uh, so a lot of it is, is what our players want to do now. And I'll let Greg speak to the fact that we also kind of have tried in the first two seasons to fit particular niches as far as scale and genres. Uh, and Greg can talk about how that's gone for us. Well, it's been difficult. There's no question because, you know, for example, we, we play a lot of American Civil War in our club. Well, y- you can't have every episode be an American Civil War battle, and you can't have every episode be 6mm, even though we do have a pretty significant portion of our episodes that are 6mm, because it's one of our most popular scales. But I think that if you're trying to have a channel that reaches as many potential gamers as possible, you want to show as many historical periods as you can. You want to show as many scales as you can. Uh, and that's something that you have to try and keep in mind. Uh, the The other problem that we have, which is a much bigger problem, and it's led to a, a bit of a change in format for how we're going to do things moving forward, is we have an editing bottleneck. I mean, Sean, that was something you and I talked about in the first uh, interview that we did a year ago. Steve and I do all of the editing. Uh, and there's only two of us, and it takes us a long time because we're not that good, and we're slow, and we're amateurs. So it's great that we've got 20 different episode ideas floating around the club, and I would love to do every single one of them, but we also have to be realistic about our time and our resources. So, you know, in season one, we had 10 episodes. It took us over a year to film and put that together. In season two, we only had eight episodes, but we did those eight episodes in much less time. It was a year in real time, and we had to have a really hard conversation after that ended. So basically during COVID this summer, and that hard conversation was, can we really keep doing that? And the answer is no. (laughs) No, we can't keep doing that. Yeah. It's understandable because as we are hobbyists, first and foremost, and modern life only allows us so much time, doesn't it, um, to spend on hobby. And time spent producing eats into that hobby time. It's very difficult to um, cut back on other aspects of life, particularly if you're a parent, particularly if you're working full-time in a busy job, um, you've got other social commitments. It's very difficult to cut back on other aspects of life uh, to uh, produce this content that we produce. 
Oh, yeah, and, and I, I hit a particular point, which would have been shortly after the Asanawana episode aired, where I'm just like, I can't do this anymore, because I we, right before Asanawana had been Trafalgar, which was another episode that I handled. Uh, all of this was going on in October and November. My, my daughter, who has appeared on the channel every once in a while, plays very high-level ice hockey, and I'm the one that would pretty much spend almost every weekend uh, toting her somewhere within... 400 miles to, to play with her team and then come home. And it's like every single free moment of my time outside of, you know, earning money uh, was, was getting poured into one of these two things. And it just left no time for anything else. Uh, now my schedule has, has eased up a little bit for, for various reasons going forward. But, you know, even so, I think it was, we kind of all reached a point where it's like, okay, we, we can't push it this hard again, which is why we're going to, you know, Little Wars TV is continuing. No one should be concerned about that whatsoever, but the structure is going to be a little different moving forward. Okay. So was that a, a, a decision just between, between yourself and Greg, or was that, that wider group decision within the club, or um, is it just something that had to happen? to ensure Little Wars TV continued? Uh, well, you know, Greg can, can chime in on his view. I, I think it was more of the latter. And again, it comes down to the fact that Greg and I do a vast majority of the editing. And I, and I should, to be fair, Greg does a lot more than I do. Uh, just because of my schedule and, you know, Greg leaves, leads a life of leisure, has no kids and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but <laughs> I, I think that, that, you know, it was necessary for both of us for, for a variety of reasons. And I, and I also think that to the extent that we've broached this with, with other members of the production team and other members of the club, everyone was kind of on board and, you know, understanding of, of why we needed to change the structure, uh, still want to continue doing it, but doing it in a more manageable way that doesn't just interfere with our own lives, but also doesn't interfere with just the regular operations of the club, which has, has been a tension that we've had since we started this project, because we don't want everything that we do in the club to be recorded. We don't want to feel like we're on camera all the time. We want times where we can just do what we enjoy doing about this in the first place, which is gathering together with friends, playing, lettering our hair down in the clubhouse there, and just having a good time. And when the evening's done moving on and not having you know Greg and I go home and go, okay, now we got to put this into 30 minutes worth of entertaining video. Yeah, and most of what happens in the club is, uh, let's just say, not fit for recording. So uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think we want to. I don't think we want to show all the cards. <laughs> no, no, Little Wars no. TV after dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great different version. Um, I, know, I know that Greg. Last time we spoke, this was something um, to be serious for a second. This was uh, a real serious consideration. Um, in, in that hiatus between season one and, and season two. And um, I, t I take my hats off you, uh, to you guys for the, the content that you have produced. Um, and I, the greatest fear for me as an avid viewer was that you would decide, well, we just cannot do this anymore. Um, we've now got this content that we'll leave up and everybody can continue to enjoy, but there'll be no more. So um, having wrapped up season two, and had that break and then started to plan for season three. What, what is it that has kept you going? What's different? What are the plans for the future? 
So not to sound overly dramatic, but there, I think there was a conversation between Steve and I about maybe just stopping entirely. Uh, and that was, that was a honest consideration that we just give it a break because we never intended it to be ongoing anyway. There was going to be 10 episodes and then we had so much fun with the 10 that I think we all got a little overly excited about cramming in a whole bunch of extra episodes with much less planning. And that was a, a really high level of burnout. So, uh, you know, Steve can speak maybe to his opinion on this, but I really did think hard about whether or not we should just stop entirely. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Like I said, you know, uh, around, you know, after the uh, Salawana episode, and just I was completely burned out at that point and had pretty much reached the decision that I didn't want to do it anymore. But, you know, I know myself well enough to say, okay, that's that's the heat of the moment or, you know, how you feel right now, give it some time. Uh, you know, obviously then COVID hit, we've had a lot of downtime, had a lot of time to recharge. Um, and, and I think, you know, in, in talking with Greg and in particular, as well as the, the other members of the club, I think we do have a manageable way of moving forward. And I kind of like to think a bit of, of, even though we, we don't really make any money, although we can, we can talk about how we're going to try and bring in a little bit of money later. Uh, but, um, it's very much kind of like building a business, I suspect, and that, you know, there's, you start a business, you have a lot of success early on, and the natural inclination is, well, you know, if we do twice as much, we'll do twice as much business, and you push yourself too far, and you grow a little bit too fast. Uh, obviously, the analogy isn't perfect, but I think it is good in the sense that, you know, we discovered we were kind of trying to push ourselves to grow as far as the amount of content a little too fast. And now I've realized, you know, let's just dial it back. This, we don't need to turn this into a sprint to success or, or you know, a lot of viewers. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting, even now as we've been on hiatus, we've got a tremendous amount of viewers who are discovering the channel, which is great. And if we just put out a steady stream uh, of content that maybe isn't all jammed into a, a three-month period, we can have just as much success as we had before. And so that's what we're going to try and do, and hopefully it works out. Yeah, to get into the nuts and bolts of that decision-making, I think that one of the mistakes that we made early on, which I don't have any regrets, but, but looking back on it might have been a mistake, is that Steve and I both envisioned this sort of like a television show. I mean, that's why we called it Little Wars TV, and we were structuring it like a television show. We're going to have season one and season two, and it's going to be released every single week faithfully, and it'll all be crammed into this you know four- to six-month window I, maybe you can tell me, Sean, you know, maybe that was great for you as a viewer, but it just was not realistic at all on the production side long term because we're not a television network and we don't have those resources. So treating it like a TV show was very unrealistic on our part. But I think that was at the time it, it was kind of groundbreaking because I don't know of any other youtube channel of any substance that took that concept of treating itself as a tv show with uh, a, a concept of seasons and now we know why people don't do that oh, wow. <laughs> yes yeah. well listen and i will continually and always shout from the rooftops about how much i enjoy the content um of little wars tv and I love the fact that you've got this concept of seasons, season one, season two. As a consumer, I would love to see a new episode every week. 
And but clearly <laughs> that would drive you both into very early graves, I suspect, to produce the the content to the quality that you, you put out. Um and I, I went through this a little bit with the podcast. I mean, on a far, far um smaller scale than yourselves, but having had that initial burst of enthusiasm about getting episodes out and painstakingly editing every bump and lump from the podcast recording. Um, I, I was finding myself spending eight, nine, ten hours editing a two-hour podcast and burnt out fairly quickly. Yeah, and I think for, for people who aren't creators, I think that's something that they don't often think about is the amount of time that gets poured into the behind the scenes stuff, you know, how you make it work. They may see uh, a 30 minute video or an hour long podcast as an end result and think that was great. And, you know, have a concept that, okay, well, if it was an hour long podcast, probably took them about two hours to put it together. And, or if it was a 30 minute video, it probably took them an hour, two hours to put together. Well, you know, we're not professionals. You're not a professional. We're not professionals. Uh, we get better at what we do. And I've certainly become a much better and more efficient editor over the course of these past two years. I know Greg has as well. Uh, if you watch the videos, you can probably see that we're, we're integrating more cool little tricks in the video presentation. Um, but, you know, it, it is a lot longer than an hour and a half, two hours to put together a 30-minute episode. I mean, it, it can be closer at, at this point for me. It's closer to like 20 to 25 hours. In the early days, it was actually closer to 30 to 40 hours. Wow. That is incredible. I say mine is on such a smaller scale. I mean, I, I'm, I'm having a chat with somebody for an hour to an hour and a half on a Skype call or Zencaster or whatever it is, um, and agonizing over every little hiccup. But good grief, <laughs> that, that is an incredible amount of time. It, it is. And, uh, you know, it, again, this is an area where I think Greg and I are very similar. And it, I hope it shows up in the production quality is, is we do try and iron out as many little hiccups as possible. Uh, we are both the type of people, nor I should say neither of us are the type of people that are like, uh, okay, that's good enough when it's 95%. No, I mean, I, I know I am sitting there grinding away for those extra few hours that it takes to get it to 99%. I won't ever say that we're a hundred percent perfect. Uh, and, and that actually ends up, uh, adding an inordinate amount of time. It's it's actually fairly easy to get something to be 80% good. Uh, that last 20% is the real nightmare. And that just takes going over it again and again and again and ironing out the little details. But, you know, hopefully that shows up in the final product. And I think it, it well, it definitely does. Um, I've almost gone the opposite direction and accepted me. <laughs> I was going to say I've accepted mediocrity. That's perhaps a little too harsh. On, <laughs> it is, on, it is. But um, yeah, so I, I've come to the realization that what this podcast is to me, it, it means a lot to me, the, the content I create. And it means a lot when I get positive feedback. Um, but it, it's about having that work, that podcast life balance, I was going to say work life balance, but the, that podcast life balance. And for you, it's having the Little Wars TV life balance, isn't it? Sure. And I, I think your position is a little different because you're kind of a one man operation. And so you have to make that kind of decision. It's a, it's a, a sensible decision, you know, with us, because we do have, 
you know, Greg and I who do a lot of the editing, although we have brought on, you know, I, I know Tom and Miles have started to, to do a little bit of editing for us. We have, uh, I believe he's Canadian, right, Greg? Uh, another guy named Sean who's That's been, right. been uh, jumped in after we did our, our little hiring post a few months ago, who's also jumping into the editing fray. So that's starting to get distributed a little bit. And also by kind of distributing the schedule that we release episodes slightly differently as we move forward, uh, that's going to, we may still be putting a lot of time into those episodes, but we don't have to follow one right on top of the other personally, individually. And so we're able to continue using that model. And maybe we ought to explain to, to Sean, <laughs> who previously said how much he loves the season format, is that one of the decisions that we made during this COVID quarantine break is that we're not going to produce Little Wars TV in these seasons anymore where we cram in a ton of content into a couple-month window. Moving forward, what we had discussed as more sustainable for us is that we'll try to space them out so that we have more time to produce them over the course of the year. And instead of getting you know eight to ten episodes in six months, we think something that might be more realistic long-term, if we're going to keep doing this for potentially years into the future, is that we do something maybe quarterly you know maybe every season spring summer fall winter we come out with an episode four to five i think a year with our current resources is a very realistic sort of long-term um goal for us and then that's and and to be clear that's four or five main episodes you know the other smaller things you know whether it's terrain tutorials battlefield tours rules reviews though would those would be you know coming out more often than, than four or five times a year. It's just the big tentpole episodes are really the ones that are the huge resource drain. Um, so hopefully you're, you're not too angry at us, Sean. <laughs> I'm not angry at all. I, I'm just relieved uh, that you are continuing. And as much as I, I love the, the, um, the concept of those seasons, and that was, as I say, that's something that I don't think we'd seen before with the, uh, a YouTube channel. I've, I've entirely understand uh, that decision uh, to go the way you are, and that protects the podcast. Uh, sorry, the YouTube channel, uh, and hopefully creates that longevity going forward. That it will be a long-term project, as opposed to something that, well, we'll get through season three, but that will have to be it because you just cannot commit to it. So I, I take my hats off to you both and, and everybody else involved with Little Wars TV to take that decision. Um, to protect it uh, as, as a product going forward. And, and I'll just jump in and say another thing that it helps with is, you know, we only have so many armies amongst the entire club. Now we have a lot, uh, but, you know, if, if we want to look at jumping into, you know, different periods, uh, maybe in different scales than we've already done, we, we may not have the armies for those episodes. Uh, you know, like right now we're, we're talking about the possibility of doing another AWI, uh, you know, Revolutionary War episode, uh, but not in the 28 millimeters that we did for Princeton, but rather in 10 millimeter. And uh, guess what? No one has a sizable 10 millimeter army for AWI. So if we want to do that, one or more of us actually have to jump in, do all the painting and assemble the armies. And as you well know, Sean, that takes time. Oh, yes. <laughs> if only you could click your fingers and it was done. So season three, then, um, you've uh, put the news out there on the Little Wars TV uh, 
blog. When when did the planning for that first start? Was it right at the end of season two? Have you taken advantage of COVID? Have you got the whole season planned out? Well, like I said, since we're not necessarily structuring it the same way as season one and two, we don't have to map it out the way that we did those. Both of those were meticulously mapped out. I mean, months in advance, we knew every episode that was going to happen. We knew the order that they would be released, the order that they would be filmed. But that's not necessarily required anymore. So at this point, I'm trying to sort of map things out in, let's call them six-month increments. So what's going to happen over the next six months? You know, let's let's plan these out just several episodes at a time. So yes, we definitely know what the next, I'll say, three to four episodes will be uh, and the order that they'll be released. And the first new episode back actually is going to be out the first week of October. So I believe this podcast is going to be airing sometime in mid to late September. So people will have uh, people have an episode to look forward to in the very near future. And I mean, we're on God's own scale, so I think it's only appropriate to <laughs> mention that it will be in God's own scale. Our first episode back is going to be a huge uh, six millimeter war game. Fantastic! There's a big smile on my face. Greg, you've said <laughs> I'm that. sure there is. And it, it, you know, we've we've filmed the game. It was it was truly a fantastic game that honestly came down to the very last turn. So oh. you know, there's there's a teaser all, for you. All the best games come down to the last turn, don't they? The last die roll of the game. That's fantastic news. So um, yeah, so you've you, you've created this um, freedom almost then for yourselves, this creative space. Uh, going forward, where you you're not going to be tied down to the season, um, uh, the season concept, where you're going to have eight major episodes and one or two others in between. You've you've really created this space for yourself, haven't you, to develop and, and move forward? Then I feel much more relaxed about it. Honestly, I mean, I I am not joking when I tell you that for those first two seasons, I, I have an Excel spreadsheet where every video was like mapped out and the date that it would be released and has it been filmed? Where is it in post-production? Do we have thumbnails? I mean, this is like a massive spreadsheet. It And it was sort of just becoming a job and I have a real job where I make real money. And you don't want to get to the point where you feel like your hobby is work. So by moving in a little bit of a different direction, I'm feeling much more relaxed about it not being tied down to that. I mean, I still have the Excel spreadsheet, but it's not pressing in the same way that I'm worried that we have to have, you know, 50 videos lined up for the next year. You know, we're just going to take a little bit more of a laid back approach. And, you know, maybe there are some viewers who are disappointed to hear that, but hopefully they'll be excited to know that we're continuing and that we can continue long-term, uh, I think, in a much more sustainable way for Steve and myself and, you know, for the club at large. And I, I think speaking for myself and, and friends that I know that enjoy Little Wars TV, that's 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 really good news. That, that's not a disappointment. That is, that is good news. And to hear that you sound as though both of you um, are still as excited about this project uh, and carrying it forward uh, and wanting to see it to continue, then um, I think everybody that I know that enjoys your content and listeners to this episode will be uh, really thankful that uh, you've 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 taken this decision uh, to move forward. So, with the 
this new concept where we've got uh, potentially uh, a seasonal release of a, a big game. You'll still have those smaller episodes, will you? The reviews and, uh, as Steve mentioned, the, the terrain building episodes. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, those, those are much easier to produce. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the big tentpole episodes uh, are fantastic for what we kind of envision them to be, which is enjoyable, not just to those who are already in our hobby, but also kind of, you know, a, a gateway through which people who are unfamiliar with the hobby may discover us. And, and they do. And that's one of the most gratifying parts of this whole enterprise is all of the emails and Facebook messages and comments that we get from people who are like, you know, I didn't know this was a thing. This is awesome. How do I get started? You know, what do I need to do? That, that's all fantastic. And we want to still have those. But we also recognize that our core viewership are really people who are already in the hobby and they really appreciate the the rules reviews that we do the terrain tutorials that we do and uh, those those things are easier to produce there will still be plenty of those we've got a stack probably you know six feet high of rules that we'd love to do reviews of because of course we all have opinions uh, and we have a lot of of really creative people uh, when it comes to terrain making. And, you know, then we also want to do, and I know we're, we're in the process of working on a number of videos that are directly focused on outreach efforts. And that's primarily Greg's, uh, Greg's project right now. So I won't go too much into that. Let him talk about that. But outreach as you know, is also a big part of the channel, which can go beyond just the main episodes. Yeah. And I picked up on that actually on, on the, the blog where you announced, I'll, I'll continue to call it season three, but it will be season three in perpetuity <laughs> going forward, um, about this this idea of um, opening up wargaming to uh, more people, getting people involved. And so that, that's your idea, is it, Greg, to make it more accessible? Well, I, I'm not going to claim credit, you know, for coming up with the idea because it's it's not an idea, it's a problem. And it's a problem that I am certainly not the first person to identify. I mean, I think everybody in the hobby is aware of it. There's there's a high barrier to entry if you are discovering tabletop wargaming, specifically historical tabletop wargaming for the first time. And there, there's a reason that many of us came from a games workshop background, from Warhammer or Warhammer 40K. And, and why is that? It's because Games Workshop makes it extremely accessible. There's a boxed kit that you can buy that has everything you need. They give you the paint. They give you the miniatures. They give you the rules, all the support. Everything is just in a box ready for you to open. And where are you going to get that in historicals? I, I think that Battlefront has tried to do that with World War II, and I give them a lot of credit for it. But by and large, it's a very fragmented hobby. And ever since we launched the channel, we were getting messages from people with increasing frequency of people saying, wow, you know, this this looks pretty cool. I, I didn't know this existed. I, I'd love to try. So how do I get started? Well, that's actually a pretty difficult question to answer. And we were getting into these, I say we, I mostly, because I'm usually the one who answers emails, is getting into these long email exchanges with people like, okay, well, what period are you interested in? And then they would email back and say, I'm interested in ancients. Okay, what scale are you interested in? I'm interested in 15 millimeter. Okay, so then I'll give them a list of rules recommendations and a list of manufacturers. And, and you're doing this with, you know, potentially a, a hundred people. 
and you start to realize everybody's having a similar problem who's coming to the hobby for the first time. If they don't have a club, they don't know where to get started. So instead of me sending out all these emails, why don't we come up with a system? Why don't we come up with a product that's free that we can show people as a gateway? Hey, do you want to try this out, particularly on a low budget? Because budget is always a concern for new players. They don't want to spend a fortune. That's one of the reasons that people have some difficulty, I think, getting into Games Workshop when you have to spend, you know, 10 or $20 for a model. So that's part of our part of our sort of new mission here is how are we going to reach new players? And for the last year, we've had a, a top secret project in the works. And, you know, in some of our recent videos that are coming out here in early September, we've alluded to the fact that we're going to drop the curtain on that Christmas 2020. This December, uh, we're going to roll out our free gateway product. And it's specifically designed to bring new people into the hobby fantastic that's that sounds incredible um so christmas we can look forward to that absolutely christmas everybody's going to get uh, a free pdf copy of what we've been working on but uh we're also uh working with some partners to make sure that there are print copies available of this project and uh actually at the moment we have i think think about 2,000 print copies pledged that will be free. And one of the ideas that we had here is that we'd like to give this product to people who are showing up to conventions in the United States for the first time. All these conventions have registration systems. So we know already when you show up at the door, have you been here before or not? You're either in the system or you're not in the system. And if you're not in the system, if you are coming for the first time, I don't know what it's like, you know, at Salute or over there uh, at any of your conventions, and you you can speak to that, Sean. But you know, here in the United States, when you show up to a convention, you get a swag bag with like a, a freaking bottle opener in it. Well, okay, that's great. <laughs> Thanks for the bottle opener. Uh, why aren't we giving people something that relates to the hobby, something that they can take home to get excited about, and? Uh, that's what we're going to do. I, hopefully in 2021, conventions will be back. I guess we'll see. But, you know, one day they will be back. And when conventions are back, I want to make sure that new people are getting something that isn't a freaking bottle opener. I want them to have something tangible that they can take home, that they can implement immediately and get into the hobby. There'll also be, I, I should point out, there's also going to be a line, because I know Greg's been working very hard on this, of videos, explainer videos and stuff like that that go along with everything. So it's really a multimedia project where, yes, you, you have either you know a PDF copy of the rules, uh, a, a, a hard copy, but then also direction to, look, if you need more or if you're more of a visual learner, like watching videos, which is certainly a big deal amongst the younger set, uh, here are resources that we've put together for you, which obviously will be available free on YouTube in perpetuity or, or as long as YouTube is around uh, to add as additional support on top of what you've just had placed in your hands. That sounds amazing. You're absolutely right. I think capturing that first time attendee at a convention and making them or sorry, allowing them to walk away from that show was something that they can actually use to participate in the hobby almost immediately. It is a, a great idea because I've spoken about this before where at the UK shows, um, people can walk in, into a show and the first table they see will be a, 
a 12 foot by six foot table that is flank to flank, 28 mil, beautifully painted Napoleonics or Spanish succession figures on beautiful scenery. And that newcomer will look at that and say, oh my goodness, that is amazing. How do I get involved? And then suddenly, the th- not only the hundreds or thousands of pounds it costs to buy the figures, but the three or four years it's going to take you to paint those figures um, really doesn't make it that accessible of a hobby, does it? Well, no, and it's not just the figures. Uh, certainly, you bring up a great point. You know, oh, I have to choose what scale and I have to choose what manufacturer, but. We get people emailing us all the time about rules. Hey, I'm interested in World War II. Uh, what rules should I use? Oh my gosh, well, that's like a massive can of worms. I mean, what am I going to tell that person? There's there's a hundred different sets of rules for you to use. Uh, and of course, you know, they all cost money. So I guess go out and buy six sets of rules and see what you like. Uh, so it's all part of the same problem. The miniatures, the rules, the terrain. If you don't have a club where you can go and sort of get in for free, then how are you supposed to get started? So that's how we came up with this idea. Let's put together a book for people, PDF and print copy, where we lay out everything. It's just a gateway guide. We'll give you a free set of rules. Very simple, just a couple pages. It'll have some optional advanced rules once you master the the core set where you can sort of step it up a little bit. And then we'll talk about where you can go to get miniatures. Here's a list of links and resources, how to paint them, how to do the terrain, everything in one PDF. And I, I think right now we're, we're putting the finishing touches on this, but we're coming in right around 36, 37 pages. It's professionally illustrated. We've got uh, professional photography, War Game Soldiers and Strategy Magazine helped to contribute a lot of that photography. Uh, so I think that it's a really, it's a beautiful product. And, and that was also part of the idea for this. We don't want to just, you know, half-ass something and give somebody a Microsoft Word document. I mean, if you're trying to draw someone in for the first time, we have to give them something that's going to knock their socks off. You know, you want to give them something great. So let's let's put together the best looking free book that we possibly can to show somebody, hey, you can do this and you don't need to paint up a million figures in order to do it. Well, first impressions last, don't they? And if they're picking up this product that you've, you've come up with and it's a professionally produced document as opposed to two sides of A4 with just text on it, then that's going to draw the person in so much more and engage with it so much more to say, this looks exciting. If, you get, if I give them a piece of paper with, um, a list of rules, a list of figures, and and how to paint those figures, and it's just blank te- text on the uh, on the page. That's not going to be very exciting. Whereas if you, you've got this professionally produced document with great photography in there, great art, then you've got far greater chance of involving that person, engaging that person in the hobby. Yeah, it's it's a visual hobby. I mean, why, why is it, I mean, there's certainly tactile elements to it as well, but, you know, what is it that draws us to playing these games? Heck, what is it that draws us to playing certain battles in six millimeter? It's the look on the table. It's the look of the table. It's very much a visual experience. And so if you want to continue to get people excited about it, you need to have those, those big, beautiful pictures 
of what is achievable in this hobby and achievable even for someone who is just jumping in. And I think what, what Greg has taken the lead on putting together, I think when everybody sees it around Christmas, they're going to be wowed by it. It's fantastic. I got to look at the latest iteration not too long ago and uh, really will, I hope, and, and I believe get people very excited uh, in part because of how visually stunning the presentation is. Well, I, I can't wait to see that. Um, that. That sounds absolutely amazing. Just touching on that on that accessibility into the hobby. Obviously, this is a six mil podcast. Um, I promote six mil uh, to anybody that will sit and listen. You've got a six mil battle coming up as the first um, sh- uh, show in the next iteration of Little Wars TV. Have we have we mentioned which battle that is? Are we allowed to say, or is that under embargo? No, I think we're allowed to say. I mean, we, we do like to keep things under wraps, but you know what? I You are our favorite podcast, Sean. So if anybody's going to get the exclusive scoop, it's going to be God's own scale. So exclusive scoop. Uh, first episode back is going to be for the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Berlin. And uh, it's... Uh, a spectacular custom table, and it covers the entire central government district, the Tiergarten, the Zoo Flak Tower, the Reichstag. Um, it's a, a six-player game. We've got four Soviet players. We've got two German players. And uh, I I think that it just... It's a great illustration of what makes 6mm such a, a fun scale to play because doing what we did here just... I don't know how it could have been done in 28 or 15. It would have taken up so much space. It would have been so massive. But uh, you're able to capture that whole sector of the city uh, in 6 millimeter, And with the glory of 3D printing, and you know Steve can talk more about that because he's our sort of 3D printing expert. Um, with 3D printing, you're able to print these buildings in a way that just... You know, it wouldn't have been possible to scratch build them. So we have a we have a three D printed Reichstag and a and a zoo flak tower and all of those iconic buildings appear on the table. Yeah, and and I should point out, uh, none of it was three D printed by me. Uh, we uh, had have a a guest co-host or host, uh, however you want to put it, which is uh, Aaron Jenkins from Project Wargaming. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel out there where he actually talks about the construction of the of the table that we ended up playing on. Uh, and he is also someone I think you would probably really enjoy talking to, Sean, because he is starting to roll out more ranges of 3D printed 6mm historical figures, which is something that there is a gaping void out there. There's plenty of, of structures, terrain pieces that you can scale down to six millimeter and turn out fine. But for the fine detail on a six millimeter figure, it it really takes a lot of attention to designing for that scale. And that's what Aaron's doing. And I'm pretty excited about it. And uh, was certainly excited to have him come host us on on his absolutely beautiful table. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the reaction to this episode because it's great, though not as great as my Russian accent. Ooh, ooh, yeah, that's that's something to behold. That's for sure. It has been picked up, Steve, that you do um, like to get dressed up and get and get into period with um, some of these games. <laughs> it, you know, it's it's trying to be larger than life, right, Sean? We talked about it earlier. Uh, I I tend to be a little bit. Uh, 
more of the the crazy player and you know have a job that involves me doing public speaking on a regular basis so you know looking like a fool in public i've done it plenty of times before it doesn't bother me to do it anymore <laughs> i'm certainly familiar with uh, the project wargaming um youtube channel i think he, he did a huge uh, d-day table custom built d-day table i seem to remember fairly recently so if that's anything to go by then i i can't wait for the visuals of of what you come up with um, what rules did you use for that? We used uh, Fistful of Toes, uh, which we have previously used on the channel on, I think it was our ninth episode for Kharkov. And uh, Aaron uh, saw the Kharkov episode, and that actually got him interested in, in Fistful of Toes. So he sort of helped to, we helped to unveil those rules for him. And uh, he, he uses a, a simplified version of it that's, basically based on the free version you can get online if you go to the Fistful of Toads website. There's a couple-page sort of starter introductory World War II system that you can get. And if anybody's listening to this and hasn't checked it out, I mean, it's free. You should definitely download it. And uh, Aaron based his his game off of that, and it was really fast-moving, which is important when you've got you know, six players around one table with a huge number of miniatures out there. I mean, you need something that's going to play and resolve in a relatively short period of time. And I mean, Aaron generally designs his games for play at conventions too. So, you know, I've, I've certainly found from running games at conventions, it's always simpler is better when it comes to the rule set. Uh, if you have something that gets bogged down into too much detail, you're just asking for trouble. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and particularly, something like Berlin 1945, I can imagine that was pretty chaotic. It was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I was checking the the call there thinking, oh no, they're not going to be. You you can edit that out, Sean. Uh, Yeah, no, no, no. That's the advantage of Zencaster. I can edit that out. Don't worry. (laughs) So um, that must have been great fun to, to play out. It was incredibly fun. And it was great that we didn't have to build the terrain or bring the miniatures, too. (laughs) <laughs> even better uh, i mean we obviously did all the filming and and greg's taking the lead on the editing and that one so there's still work that needs to be done from our perspective but there was a lot less uh prep time that was spent on preparing the episode than we otherwise would have and aaron's he's simply a great guy i mean if you're here in the u.s and you make it to any of the uh the conventions where you see he's running a game not only are you going to have a fantastic looking game but you're going to have a, a really good really nice uh gm for the game as well uh and and again i think you should have him on the podcast because he's doing a lot of interesting stuff with six millimeter and 3d printing and is someone that if if any of your listeners are are interested in the 3d printing side of six millimeter historical war gamer uh more gaming he's he's really kind of on on the point of the spear as far as that aspect of the hobby yeah steve you've printed some of his uh his new crusade stuff haven't you on your resin printer yeah, he's. Uh, I've been working with him. He's been, you know, sending me some of the files as he's been working on various iterations. I've been printing them up, uh, and and they look fantastic. Uh, and you know, he's able to get them. I, th- I think we all realize, and and some manufacturers more than others, that you know, when you're looking at six millimeter figures and really any, you know, pewter figures. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to say lead. I know that from the last episode I listened to, but yes. uh, um, the. Uh, the figures tend to be a little chunkier as far as their proportions. 
but when you do 3D printing, you can get them in, in much more kind of realistic proportions, uh, which is great. And you can also, st you can get some really fantastic detail if you're using a resin printer. And, you know, what Aaron's been able to do with his Crusades range, and he's also starting to dabble in the feudal Japanese range, which of course is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I've been really impressed with some of the results that he's able to get after, you know, working out some of the kinks and we've been doing that. So uh, I'm anxious to see where he's going. Well, I'll certainly reach out to Aaron uh, to get him onto the show. Um, he sounds like somebody I need to speak to uh, with some of the innovations he's coming up with with uh, the 3D printing. That should be great. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention just about the blog that you put up around uh, the evolution of Little Wars TV was the concept of Patreon. Do you want to talk me through that a little bit? Well, it's simple, Sean. We want money. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, Next topic. No, I, um, I'll, Greg did the posting, I'll, and I've been talking a bit, now, so I'll let uh, Greg jump in on this one. Well, Steve's actually the one, I think, who uh, first came to me. What was it, Steve? Maybe uh, halfway through our second season? Uh, and you're the one who had said, hey, you know, maybe this is something that we ought to consider because... You know, no, nobody here is going to get paid for their time. Let's not kid ourselves. But there are actual expenses. I mean, another Excel spreadsheet that I have, just what you wanted to hear about on this podcast, the, the Excel spreadsheet podcast. Uh, yes. Another spreadsheet that I maintain are the sort of running lists of uh, of costs that we have in order to, to do the channel. And as a content producer, Sean, you know, I'm sure you're, you're paying for podcast hosting. I don't know what service. Uh, what service are you using for that? Uh, Podbean. Podbean, okay. Yeah, I know it's a popular one. It's a subscription service, and although it's not, um, it, it's not that much money. Uh, it mounts up and it comes out of the hobby funds, so uh, it it can't be discounted. No, it can't. No, no, it it, it can't. Uh, so you know, we we do have a list of running costs that we're soaking up here, and. To date, the only money that we've really made off the channel is we did have, I think, two episodes where we were able to get sponsors, which, you know, that's a one-off thing. There's nothing sustainable about that. It was, it was very nice. Uh, and we did recently enable YouTube ads on some of the videos. I think maybe about 20% of our videos have ads on them now. And uh, for anybody listening who is not familiar, uh, you're talking about, like, pennies per thousand views um it's really it doesn't amount to a lot of money but hey something is better than nothing so uh you know that's when steve had said hey look you know is, is there a way that we could try to break even on this thing maybe even you know make some small amount of money to give to some of the guys in the club who are spending a lot of their free time on this and kickstarter was one option um patreon was another option and in an exit survey that we had i think I think, I can't remember, Steve, if that was the end of season two, we did that exit survey or was, when uh, it was. End of season one, actually. Oh, end of one. Okay. So we did an exit survey where we asked people what their opinions were about crowdfunding, which platform they would prefer, would they be interested in supporting it? And I thought it was going to be like a 50-50 split. That's just what I assumed. But uh, I was very wrong. Uh, the vast majority of people said that they would, if anything, they would prefer patreon as their platform so we spent quite a bit of time thinking about if we would do that and more importantly how we would do that i mean the idea on patreon is that you're offering people 
perks or rewards. You're giving them something. They're not just, you know, giving you money for nothing. And, you know, if we were going to go down that road, we wanted to put some care and attention into it. What were we going to offer? How are we going to make it worthwhile for people? And given that we spent the earlier part of this podcast talking about the amount of work we're already doing, what can be done that isn't going to overly burden us with additional work? And I think that we came up with some pretty... uh, some pretty exciting options for that. So is, has, that hasn't launched yet, though, has it? That is launching on September 15th, which is probably right around the time this podcast is coming out. So this will sort of be, I think, breaking news for people who are listening. It should be just um, just launched. And and I will say that as as we're talking here, I'm in the process of putting together our Patreon campaign announcement video, and whether you intend as a as a God's Own Scale listener to support Little Wars TV and our Patreon efforts, I encourage you all to check out that video because it is both the worst and the best I've ever done. <laughs> I am intrigued, Steve. Tell me more. Uh, you 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 will be horrified uh, and yet strangely. Uh, attracted to what is there and probably will want to watch it more than once. Sean, Sean, I can tell you right now that part of Steve's idea is that he had us film a music video. (laughs) So if you've ever wanted to hear members of the club display their singing voice, which I know literally no one wants that, uh, well, you're getting it anyway. And uh, Steve has produced a truly epic music video. (laughs) Is it along the lines of Hamilton or one of these other blockbusters? No, because those are actually good. <laughs> okay, <right. laughs> but uh, but no, I, I mean you know we, we we do everything a little bit differently at Little Wars TV as as we've discussed a bit today and as everyone realizes, and and also you know we we don't jump into things without a whole lot of you know preparation, uh, and so yes, we've been talking about this as a possibility for really over a year now. Uh, and actually, you know, one of the things that uh, is involved in, uh, in the Patreon campaign, and we'll, we'll say it right now, will be we will be starting a, a podcast as well called Little Wars FM uh, that will be available if you, if you pledge at a particular tier. Uh, you know, and, and part of that will be much, you know, like, like you do interviews with people in the six millimeter industry. We'll be doing interviews with, with other folks as well. Uh, the first interview I did for uh, our podcast, I actually did last November. So this has wow. been in the pre-production phase for quite a while. Yeah. Well, I'll be excited to listen to that. I'm obviously uh, interested in the spoken word as much as the visual and uh, any new podcast. Uh, it will be right up my street to occupy me whilst I'm painting my six more figures. Yes, and, and I'll just jump in here and say, you know, after listening to the episode that you did with uh, Andrew at Heroics and Ross, I think you did an, an incredibly uh, gentlemanly and gracious thing at the end when you announced your own Patreon campaign and said if people had a choice between uh, supporting yours and supporting what we roll out at Little Wars TV, they should support ours, which, I, I mean, that, that means a lot. I mean, it obviously communicates how much you enjoy our stuff, but I, I didn't want to let that go unanswered and not respond by 
by saying, well, you know, what you do, Sean, is really fantastic as well and is a tremendous service for the entire six millimeter community, which obviously Greg and I are, are both avid uh, members of that six millimeter community. And, and I certainly encourage people to, uh, to support you and what you're doing. Uh, I know that I will be supporting what you're doing. And, you know, people can obviously make their own choices and they have their own money, but your, your work here on God's Own Scale is every bit as deserving of people's support as people might think that ours is at Little Wars TV. Ab- absolutely. And honestly, Sean, your podcast did believe it or not, help to serve as some inspiration for what we're going to be doing on our podcast, because even though there are several wargaming podcasts out there, most of them are what I would call ramble shows, where hosts just sort of get on and talk for a couple of hours, and that's not my preferred format for a podcast. I I much prefer what you do on yours, which are a little bit more structured interviews where I can look and I can see exactly what's going to be discussed and I, I know what I'm getting before I listen to the show. And and that's what we want to do for ours. I mean, we want to provide a, a podcast that is not a mindless ramble, but when you look at the title of the podcast, you know what we're going to be talking about specifically. Uh, so you, you, you really do an awesome job uh, with this with this podcast. And I was excited to see when you came back with new content because there was a several month break where there were no new episodes of God's Own Scale. And then all of a sudden it was like my Facebook feed was like blowing up. I was like, oh my gosh, there's, there's a new episode. There's a new episode. There's a new episode. I, I got behind at one point where I was like an episode back. So uh, I'm glad to see that you're back with some new stuff. Well, first of all, gentlemen, thank you so much for that. That, that really means a lot coming from yourselves. Um, and yeah, that seven-month break really was a, as a result of some burnout and one or two real-life issues where I, I almost backed myself into a corner with the podcast and the editing and the time and balancing work and family and things. So uh, and as we've spoken about, you, you well understand that. And I think regarding the content all I can produce is something that I think I would like to listen to. And I feel fairly sure that you produce Little Wars TV as something that you would like to watch. Um, and you, you can't do much more than that, can you? No, and that's been kind of the guiding principle for us from the beginning. You know, what, do we, what would we want to watch? Because why would we produce something that we wouldn't want to watch? Why would you produce something that you wouldn't want to listen to? It makes no yeah. sense. No, no, absolutely. Um, but... Uh, just on that Patreon thing, uh, for for myself, this this is a one man show. This is a, this is a, a very small production compared to yourselves, and and that's why I pointed to, uh, towards your own Patreon because I was so excited to see the fact that you were continuing, um, and I continue to be excited having spoken to you both this morning. Um, and if listeners can support that patreon to ensure that you continue then i would i would much rather people go that way because this but my podcast does not depend on on patreon it it will help because i would like a new microphone at some point and i'll no doubt buy a new microphone at some point but if if the podcast can support that and and fund that then so much the better um i think i don't know if i mentioned actually on the recording gentlemen but um, there's a huge following of Little Wars TV in, in my little corner of the United Kingdom. So if, if you've got a, 
a map of the United Kingdom up and stuck your finger right in the middle of it and just moved it over to the left a little bit. That's about where we are. Um, so south of Manchester, just north of Birmingham, about 150 miles away from London. Uh, we, we are a small island compared to... You travelled that far for a, a couple of hours game in an evening, wouldn't you, from from where I am to London, I know. But um, that, that's where we are, and that's where my little club is. And we have... Uh, there's a strong following for Little Wars TV. But there's one particular member, Kevin, um, who on hearing that I was going to speak to you uh, on the show today, he's, he sent through a few questions. I don't know if you'd be willing to answer those. Uh, abs- absolutely. And and I appreciate the fact that you've told us exactly where you are now so that when we plan our invasion of England, we know where to land and, and we'll have people ready to rally to our cause. Kev will be rallying to our cause. <laughs> Oh, Kev's, Kev's ready to command a, an entire brigade, you know, so we're, we're good with him. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's, a very, he's a very savvy war gamer. So if, if ever you did have the pleasure of uh, being uh, opposite him on the table, I, I would watch out. <laughs> he likes his flank attacks. <laughs> so so what, are, what are Kev's questions? Throw them at us. Right, okay. So um, this, this harkens back to the dressing up bit, actually. <laughs> um, Great. <laughs> so maybe more towards yourself. Uh, Steve, although I know Greg, you've you've dressed up once or twice as well on the show, but uh, are you involved in any rea- reenactment, or is it just you you like putting on strange clothes? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, when, you, when you put it that way, Sean, uh, no, I, I I honestly I would love to be involved in reenacting. Uh, there's there's just it's another way to explore history. And that's really what I love about this hobby is it's a way of exploring history beside that, aside from just reading books or, you know, visiting battlefields or watching movies. It's another way to explore what I enjoy exploring, which is history. Uh, I think reenacting would be much of the same. Obviously being as close to Gettysburg here in Pennsylvania as I am, there are certainly plenty of opportunities for that. It's just a matter of time and money. Uh, and getting involved in something like that, which can be extremely expensive and extremely time-consuming, is just not something that I can do at this point. So I think that my dressing up in strange clothing is perhaps a way of me playing like a reenactor, but not really being one, getting some of that same feel. Uh, and it always it always seems to get a pretty cool reaction when uh, one of us does that in a video. Probably my favorite reaction was uh, from the Gettysburg episode. If you read the comments under, I think, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, it's actually the comments on the video that the Trust posted, not ours. Yes, and I know exactly where you're going with this. And it's like, you know, and, and, and I can't remember the exact verbiage, but it's like, it's the top comment the last time I looked at and has a ton of, of likes and everything. It's like everybody introducing themselves before the battle, then Steve rolls out like a pimp. And I'm like, yeah, because that's exactly what Richard Yule was. But uh, yeah, I mean, so it was, I, I just, I love that comment. Uh, you know, the, I know the folks at the Trust love the comment. Everybody got a kick out of it. And that's the reaction I'm going for. Uh, it's stupid fun. All of this is stupid fun for me. So, you know, why not make it more stupid? Here, here to that. Yeah. We do not, though, Sean uh, and Kev, we do not have any reenactors in the club, although I know many years ago, Tony uh, used to be involved with SCA, where they, it sort of a form of medieval reenacting. They actually do uh, combat with, with medieval weapons. But other than that, uh, no, no full-time or even part-time reenactors. 
Well, I mean, but not historical reenactors. I mean, Zach, you know, what he runs a bunch of live action role playing, some of which have, you know, loose historical ties. That's so I right. Think he would he would probably be the closest thing we have to a reenactor, but what he does isn't specifically historical reenacting. I have noticed though in the background of quite a few of the videos, you've you've got quite a collection of memorabilia uh, around the clubhouse, uh, with whether it's muskets or I think there's a, a Zulu shield and a Asagai as, as uh, uh, in the background of one of your videos, Steve. Uh, well, that that what I have that's here at home. That's the the shield, uh, knob carry, and an ikla that I actually I got all three of them in Zululand, which is pretty cool. Uh, we do have kind of a miniature Zulu shield and and asagai uh, in the club, which those are Greg's. But you know, uh, obviously, if we're gonna decorate a war room. And this was before we ever thought about doing Little Wars TV. Uh, if we were going to decorate a gaming space, you know, for us to use as a club, we wanted it to be the kind of place that you would play war games and kind of used as an inspiration the kind of, you know, stuffy, you know, Victorian gentleman's club feel to it. And I think we've kind of achieved a good balance between stuffiness and just being plain cool. Um, and uh, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have stumbled into this group and, and to be able to game in such a space with or without Little Wars TV. Yeah, I'm incredibly jealous, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, so one of the more amusing parts of the Sandal Warner video was, Greg, yourself checking the um, the budget for trips and uh, travel, uh, and then realizing Steve, Steve had traveled over to South Africa. Um, is, is that some joke inside? When you go out to these battlefields, and I know some of them are in the vicinity of where you are, but do you, do you travel out to the battlefields uh, wider within the States, or have you traveled abroad before? Uh, you don't mean related to the channel, you just mean personally? Yes, yeah, yeah, for battlefield trips, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I know that pretty much everybody in the club has been to multiple battlefields because there are so many AWI and uh, Civil War battlefields that are near us, but I, I love visiting battlefields. I worked at two battlefields, Gettysburg and Monocacy, and I have been fortunate enough to, to get abroad to see some battlefields in, uh, in Europe as well, D-Day beaches, uh, Waterloo among them. So it's something that I wish that I could do more of personally, but also for the channel. I mean, a sort of dream scenario for the channel is that maybe we could, a couple of us, it would have to be on our own dime, of course, but uh, a couple of us could head over to Europe and maybe do a week over there checking out some battlefields. And, and we actually had talked about that potentially for this year, um, but with COVID, that, that sort of shut all that down. Yeah, and, and clearly the, the Asadalwana thing is an example of that for me. Like I said, I mean, I, I planned that trip. My daughter and I were going to go on that trip, uh, and I actually had most of it paid for before we even released our first video. And I never really thought at that point that it was going to be in any way tied to Little Wars TV. I uh, never would have thought Little Wars TV would even last that long. Um, but it's someplace that I had wanted to go for my 
you know, a vast majority, I won't say my entire life, I didn't come out of the womb wanting to go to Zululand, but, uh, you know, for, since fairly young, uh, you know, early teens at the, at the very latest, I had wanted to visit there. And, you know, anytime that I travel around the country, my daughter and my wife know I'm probably going to want to check out any uh, nearby battlefields. Um, my daughter's about ready to, to go away to school in Rhode Island, and there's all sorts of cool little things up there and in the entire New England area, where I have lived before, so I've seen some of them. Um, uh, that I'm looking forward to check out. And now I'm just probably going to film some of it because we do have the channel. Fantastic. That's, uh, that was his second question. Third question is um, what other periods have you got an interest in? Um, now I know Steve, you're, you've got the interest in the Japanese history, the Anglo Zulu war. Uh, Greg, I know you've got quite a range, a wide ranging interest in history, but what what other periods that we haven't seen on the channel have you got an interest in? Well, let's see. Recently, uh, I can say that one of our club members, Miles, uh, has taken a very deep six millimeter dive into the Russo-Japanese War. So he painted up a ton of Bacchus stuff for that, and uh, there have been some pictures of it. Actually, I think in a in a recent quick video when we did our historicon, not historicon recap, you saw some of Miles' uh, Russo-Japanese collection. So that, that's been a new foray for us. And just uh, two weeks ago at the club, uh, Tom rolled out some new miniatures that he had just finished painting. They were 18-millimeter um, uh, medieval miniatures for the Barons' War. So we have done, obviously, uh, medieval gaming in the club, but more of a unit-based thing like you would have seen in the Asian Core video in 10mm. And Tom's miniatures are all individually based for a little bit more of a skirmish style. So the Baron's War, that uh, that was brand new two weeks ago, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and from my perspective, I mean, my, my kind of big three subjects we have all covered on the channel uh, because I forced us to. Uh, and that would be Anglo-Zulu War, obviously, with Sanawana, Feudal Japanese with was Fourth Kawanakajima, uh, and then naval combat in particular in the Pacific in World War II, and obviously we did the Guadalcanal episode in Season 1. Those have always kind of been my big three. Uh, ancients are always, are always big for me as well. Uh, obviously, we've done, done Trebia, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that one day we'll be able to trot out my undefeated Macedonian pikemen. They've never lost a game. Uh, and that is six millimeter. I think I showed them briefly in, in one of the videos earlier this uh, earlier this year. I would say the other thing that I really enjoy a lot, and I know everyone in the club really enjoys when we run these games, uh, but hasn't made it on the channel yet, is uh, ACW uh, Naval Warfare. Ah, yes. <laughs> yes. So much fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we have, uh, what, they're 1,600, I think they are, Greg? The thoroughbred. thoroughbred yeah, stuff, thoroughbred. Thor <laughs> thoroughbred miniatures. Absolutely fantastic models. And then um, we've played other rule sets, but the, the one that seems to create just the most fun and chaos, which is you should have plenty of chaos whenever you're talking about ACW Riverine Warfare, because if you've ever read anything on the subject, it was just a complete mess. Um, and so we use Peter Pig's hammer and iron rules. Which and, are also a complete mess. Well, yes. <laughs> One day we'll do a review on that. I, I love the way that, uh, that Peter Pig's rules play out, but the rules themselves are are a chore to get through sometimes uh, just because of layout issues. But um 
but that that is something whenever we run it at the club we put it on a huge table the table ends up looking great everybody wants to come in for that night and it's just a night full of horrible southern accents mostly from me and uh you know just absolute chaos on the board and by the end of the night everyone's just had a great time yeah sure i'm i'm actually quite good friends with um martin at peter pig Great, great guy. Great guy. I played in a game he ran at a Historicon a number of years ago. Fantastic. Yeah, he is. And I, I think it certainly helps if he is leading you through the game. Uh, I think it, if you pick up the rules um, independently and read them through, I know, I know some people uh, struggle to uh, grasp some of the unique concepts that Peter Pig uh, throw, throw into them. But uh, I think my pitch is in one of their rule books. I've been on the playtest team for some time. Oh, I'll have to check it out. I've got a few of theirs. But, I mean, no, he's got some great ideas. And when you actually do the work to figure out how to play the game the way it's intended, they almost universally, every rule set I've played of his, and I haven't played them all, but every one that I have, has led to a really, really fun game. And, uh, you know, it's just, I know there's probably some people out there who get the rule book and try and wade through it and maybe give up a little too soon. And I think that's unfortunate because again, some of his ideas and the games that he creates end up with a, a fantastic final product. Yeah. He's, uh, he's for, forever innovating and, uh, hammering iron is certainly a favorite game of mine. You can't go wrong just throwing bucket loads of dice across the table, can you? So. <laughs> where, where things break on a regular basis, and you're like, well, what am I going to do now with a giant hunk of iron that's just drifting downriver? Or oh, can only turn right, yes. <laughs> uh, okay, Kev's next question. Um, this might be a bit of a personal one, I don't know. It says, is it only whiskey at the bar? <laughs> we should definitely let Steve speak to that one. Uh, yeah, I don't drink, so I have no idea, but I can I can say, and Greg can give you the more uh, extensive list, that it is not only whiskey at the bar, believe me. <laughs> no, definitely not. I, I don't know why, but, you know, whiskey, bourbon, scotch, those are all sort of club favorites, but we do have, uh, we do have other alcohol at the bar. Occasionally, guys will have a beer. Um, it is... On a more serious note, it is actually something that did worry me a little bit when we moved into our space. Uh, everybody was excited that once we moved to a private space, we could drink alcohol freely because we could not do that at our previous home in the back of a public comic store. Uh, and it, it it was something that occurred to me. It's like, eh, you know, I hope this doesn't get out of control. Uh, you know, I mean, I hope that people are are responsible about this. I mean, I would. I would feel horrible if like, you know, somebody was driving home from the club and, and had too much, but we've never had to have a conversation about it. Everybody sort of self monitors. Um, and certainly if we ever saw anybody having too much alcohol, we would definitely say something cause we're friends. Uh, but luckily in, in all the time we've been there, which I think is five years now, uh, nobody has ever really abused that guys like to have a drink and, and usually it's, you know, one drink. So it is nice to have access to. And I think I may have made a mistake by saying that I don't drink because now people are going to realize that all the stupid stuff I do, I do while I'm sober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no get out clause there, Steve, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think that's just interesting because it, it, that seems such a social thing for you to do, um, to have a, a nice whiskey and absolutely not to drink to excess, but um, it's, a, it's a very civilized way of gaming, isn't it, to share a wee dram of uh, of whatever it is that uh, 
you're enjoying so um, well the only thing we can't do at the club that i wish we could do is i do what every now and then love having a cigar and you know what what feels more appropriate for wargaming than sipping your scotch and having a cigar but uh <laughs> short of having like a ten thousand dollar ventilation system i don't think we want to cloud the war room with cigar smoke no no um a couple of these questions uh we we've sort of covered during the discussion um one specific here are some of your members former military teachers historians or are they just enthusiasts i think it's kind of yes to all of the above isn't it uh you know we've obviously got a number of uh former military uh, many of whom were involved in the fallujah roundtable video that we did in season one around our fallujah episode uh you know keith uh, teaches history um and so i i you know we don't call him professor. We refuse to do that. But uh, and then I, I think probably the closest thing we have to a real historian probably would be Greg, as he was, you know, a tour guide. Um, I don't think we have any published historians. We do have uh, other we have other teachers in the club. I mean, Keith teaches at the college level, but I know Dave uh, teaches uh, uh, high school social studies. Uh, Chow is not a history teacher, but he's a teacher as well. So definitely people with an education background and and a lot of former uh, veterans. Yeah, but I think I think most of us would fall into the enthusiast category. I mean, I'm I'm an appellate attorney by trade, uh, but I I love history, uh, and uh, you know I think that's where most of us fit. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you get into the backgrounds of uh, people that are drawn into this hobby. Um, it, it's many and varied, and I think that just uh, increases the enjoyment around the table, where you, you're you're meeting people from different walks of life sharing their experiences, but you've all got that common interest in history and gaming. Absolutely. And it leads to some really fascinating uh, conversations around the table that have nothing to do with history. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've been party to many of those over the years. Definitely. I'm sure. Um, and then uh, we'll round out then. The last one he has put is, do any of Little Wars, uh, do any of the Little Wars TV group come over to the UK I for shows or have an interest in our history. That's UK history, I'm guessing. Definitely. I mean, a number of our guys have, have traveled to the UK. I know Miles travels there pretty regularly for business. Uh, I've been to the UK, I don't know, maybe half a dozen times, all just on personal, personal vacation. Um, and in terms of being interested in the history, uh, absolutely. I mean, there are plenty of periods that we game in the club. Uh, you know, Steve has, of course, already talked about the Anglo-Zulu War, but War of the Roses, I mean, you you name it. I think that we're, we're all pretty diverse in our interest in uh, global military history. And if you're going to talk about global military history, the sun never sets on the British Empire, uh, and that is a big, big part of it. Yes, dear boy, that's uh, absolutely true. I think it does now, actually. There's not, not an awful lot of it left. I didn't want to rub salt in the wound, Sean. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I, I agree with Greg. I also have, have been to the UK. Uh, it's been a while now since I've been there. But, you know, again, like Greg says, if you want to get involved with history, I mean, Age of Sail, uh, you know, there's a reason I was involved with the Trafalgar episode. I, I love the, the fighting Age of Sail. And again, if you're talking about the golden age of the fighting age of sail you can't ignore the royal navy uh so and, and then obviously the interest in the anglo-zulu war so absolutely i think we've got almost everybody in the club is interested in some aspect of 
of British history. And, uh, and I think all of us would, would love to, to go over there any chance we get. I, I love think, traveling. I think Miles might be the only club member who's been to a, a UK show. Um, as, as far as I know, I mean, I know he's been to salute, I believe a couple of times, although there was discussion uh, this past year, uh, before COVID that a number of us wanted to get over to joy of six. Uh, that has long been on my radar. I mean, we're pretty unabashed, uh, Bacchus miniature lovers at little wars TV and in our club and going to joy of six was, I, I would actually rather go there than go to salute. So that's my number one sort of show that I'd like to get to. And I thought this year that a group of us were going to make it happen. Uh, and we were going to take you up on your invitation, Sean. I was going to bring like 20 people to sleep in your house and trash the place. But uh, it just it just didn't work out this year, unfortunately, because they canceled. Oh, damn. <laughs> and I cleared out the spare room as well. <laughs> well. You said you were doing renovations, Sean, so I wanted to come and take advantage. No, I, I suspect that we will do that. I mean, at some point when the whole COVID thing is, is over and conventions are back, because I actually share... Greg's feelings. I, you know, the number one show I would want to go to over in the UK is Joy of Six, uh, even though it is smaller than the bigger shows. Uh, but it's it's really targeted to one of my sweet spots uh, as far as the historical wargaming. And I've had such great experiences dealing with Peter uh, at Bacchus over the years. And I mean, from well before Little Wars TV, I mean, some of the stuff he was willing to do for me when I was just getting started into Anglo-Zulu War uh, years before Little Wars TV. He's just a, a great guy to work with. I, I enjoy him listening to the interviews you do with him whenever he shows up uh, here on God's Own Scale. And uh, and so, yeah, I'd love to get over there, meet him in person, uh, be amongst a, a community of, of six millimeter war gamers and just spend all my time with six millimeter goodness. That, that sounds like heaven, doesn't it? It's, uh, I don't know. Are you aware that um, generally the day before the show, there's a Bacchus Open Day? Yes. Um, yes. That, that, yes. We both wanted to see the workshop. Yeah. Yeah. This, it's well worth doing. Um, it's a it's a few years now since I've been there, but. Uh, I know he's, he's expanded somewhat. So uh, next, if it's if it's on next year, I'll definitely be there. So yeah, and and, and again, I want to thank Peter for his support of the Asandalwana episode. Obviously, his logo got plastered, you know, all over that. But uh, you know that he was he has been one of the supporters of the channel uh, almost from the outset. I mean, our first battle Antietam uh, was six millimeter using primarily Bacchus stuff. Um, so, you know, it's, it's someone who's been great to work with just as a consumer, but also someone who's been fantastic to work with and very supportive of Little Wars TV. It would just be a great opportunity, though, to see some people that, I mean, we've spoken to, yourself included, but never never had the chance to meet, you know, uh, Mark Backhouse, uh, Guy Bowers, uh, you, Peter, there's there's a, the whole host of people that uh, I would love to actually be able to see face to face for the first time, and you know, hopefully, Joy Six, you know, would be an opportunity where we could do that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, in an ideal world, it'd be something like uh, on the Saturday we go to the um, the Bacchus Open Day, go out for a bite to eat on the on the Saturday night, and then uh, in, enjoy the show the following day. But whenever that happens, if it's next year or the year after, or whenever then it will happen and uh, I'll, I'll do some coordination and uh, assist with some touring duty, uh, tour guide duties. Well, actually, I was hoping maybe you would be willing to assist with even more than that because one of the things that we talked about uh, this past year is that if we had the opportunity to go to Joy of Six, 
I mean, how could we miss the opportunity to maybe play and film an episode or two of Little Wars TV on the battlefield? There's certainly plenty of battlefields uh, in the UK that I would like to go to that I have not been able to get to before, and that would just be... That would be really neat, but we would need somebody over there to help us because, you know, toting miniatures and terrain on a transatlantic flight, probably uh, probably not the easiest thing to do. No, I, I live approximately a 10-minute walk from the Battle of Bloor Heath, the, the, the battlefield at Bloor Heath, uh, which is one of the early engagements in the Wars of the Roses. Um, and there's, I'm friends with the, uh, the family that own the, the land there, so that would definitely be on the cards and that would make a spectacular episode if the English weather held out and we could do it on the battlefield itself. Oh, I'd, I'd love to take it a step further and like turn it into a six millimeter manufacturer grudge match and have like one side be Peter and his Bacchus army and on the other side have it be you know, Andy and, and Heroics and Ross and just let them go at it. Uh, you know, I, because I, we could, we could have a lot of fun with that, I, but uh, I don't, I don't know if they're at all interested in that. <laughs> Or how about refighting the uh, the War of uh, Independence or the Revolutionary War? I mean, a couple of the little war guys TV on one side and a couple of the British on the other side. Uh, that would work yeah. too. There's a few ideas now floating around that would be interesting. <laughs> right, gentlemen, thanks so much for that. That is this. That is the end of uh, Kev's questions. Uh, he will be thrilled uh, to hear that you've answered them. Um, he has unfortunately suffered a bereavement uh, fairly recently so uh, we send our best wishes out to you Kev and I hope everything's uh, sorting out and, and becoming a little bit easier for yourself yeah thank thank you for the questions Kev that was, yes. that was awesome thank you hope we'll get to meet in person at some point yeah absolutely he is a huge fan um, gentlemen I've, I've kept you for some considerable time i know you gave me a four hour window steve but i think i'm about two hours in yeah we're only halfway sean what are you talking yeah. about <laughs> where, where, do you have somewhere to be sean i'm i'm very disappointed you don't want to talk to me more <laughs> oh no listen listen I, i'd be here all day but um it's uh, it's just gone 4 p.m over here and uh I think some more decorating is is my wife's waving a, a six inch brush at me, unfortunately, and not a, a size one brush. <laughs> so uh, more decorating duties calls. Um, yeah, thanks so much for. I know we've had some technical difficulty uh, about halfway through when my internet crashed for no apparent reason, but thanks so much for persevering with it and uh, answering the questions and giving us that insight into into what is coming from Little Wars TV. I know that the vast majority, in fact, everybody who listens to this podcast will be a, a big fan of Little Wars TV and, and no doubt looking forward to what's coming ahead. Um, there's two things I always ask of any guest, whether you're a returning guest or a first-time guest, um, and you, there's, you're buying into this regardless. Um, you're not allowed to end a call until you've accepted both of these requests. Uh, the first is that you agree to come back on, both of you at some point in the near future. It is so agreed. Yes, absolutely. Anytime. Good. Uh, and the last bit is that you both now add a book to the God's Own Scale virtual library. The shelves are starting to bow a little bit under the weight of the number of books we have on there. And I tend to waffle a little bit here because I never give pre-warning to guests. And I keep saying I should do this, but I never give pre-warning to guests to say you need to come up with a, a book on military history or wargaming or something relevant. Um, 
to to the topic. Uh, but I would I know that you put on the personal memoirs of U.S. Grant, Greg. Uh, when yes. you came on last time. Yes, my favorite biography. Yeah, and it's become a favorite of mine. Actually, I'd, I'd dipped into it previously, but I've, I've, I've read it since in the in the last twelve months, and it was a, a worthy recommendation. But I'll go to Steve first, um, just to sure. give Greg that little bit extra time. But uh, have you got something that you would like to deposit? Absolutely, because I am prepared. Because I do listen to your podcast, and you were not going to catch me by surprise. Uh, so uh, I, I decided to to go to one of my favorite, you know, little history books. It's not particularly long, but I, I found it to be absolutely fascinating uh, when I read it a number of years ago. It's it's still one of my favorite historical reads about an interesting little episode, and it's uh, a book by Anthony Arthur called The Taylor King. The Rise and Fall of the Anabaptist Kingdom of Munster. Uh, from the, uh, the, in the Anabaptist Kingdom of Munster, if, if no one is familiar with it, uh, was basically when uh, some religious radicals decided to take over the city, uh, and I think it was 1534. And uh, just a, a, I've often thought since I read it that the story would make an absolutely fantastic, like, period drama miniseries on, like, HBO or Amazon Prime or something. It would never work on network TV. There's just too much sex and violence. Um, but uh, it's just a fascinating story uh, and encourage people to check it out. And I don't think many people know much about it. Yes, I wouldn't imagine so. That is uh, <laughs> very obscure. <laughs> I was just about to say, Greg, uh, Steve has now won the award for the most obscure entry into the Godzone scale. Yes, yes. he has. And I thank you for that, Steve. I'm, I'm going to find a link to that. Uh, I, I take it's still available, is it? Uh, I know it's available in a Kindle version. I just I just looked it up. It looks like the you know actual hard copy uh, is tough and expensive to come by, and it's it's only about 250 pages. So paying the 40, 50 bucks that I think some used book resellers are charging is probably excessive. But I know there is an electronic version. Okay, I will be looking that out later. Um, Steve, and uh, uh, appraising myself of uh, of the contents of that book. That sounds fascinating. Uh, Greg, uh, what have you got for me? All right. I'm going a little more mainstream with my uh, selection. Boring. Uh, yeah, Ooh. sorry. Sorry. And uh, and I'm staying in my wheelhouse. The first recommendation I gave was uh, ACW and, you know, got to be true to myself. That's my favorite historical period to read about. Um, so I will give you the book recommendation that I gave to visitors when they came to the battlefield. Uh, anytime somebody wanted to know, hey, is there like a book that I should check out that you would really recommend as a good starting point for the Battle of Gettysburg? One that they had for sale at the visitor center that I strongly recommend to anybody is, I, I think it's the ultimate book written, definitive book written on the Battle of Gettysburg. It's written by Stephen Sears, a uh, historian in the, I think, early 2000s, and it's simply titled Gettysburg. Um, it is his telling of the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, I've spent many hours on the battlefield with his book in hand, and I think that it's a, a great combination of a professional military historian who writes in a, uh, a way that would appeal to a lot of readers. It's a very sort of popular history, but also one grounded in some really good uh, research and good facts. So Stephen Sears, Gettysburg, if you're interested in the Civil War, absolutely one to check out. Fantastic. It's a, it's a book I'm familiar with, actually. I'm, I've read uh, Landscape Turn Red, which is the Antietam yes. uh, book that he wrote, which I think is a fantastic uh, single volume 
description of that battle and Gettysburg is 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 on my own shelf at home. It's uh, it's a great book, gentlemen. Thank you very much for those uh, additions to the God's Own Scale Virtual Library. Um, and Steve, I, I think you will hold the crown of the most obscure book for some time. Um, but I'll let you know if somebody comes up with anything more obscure. Well, I'll be anxious to hear whether after you've said that, whether now people are going to start coming on your podcast deliberately trying to find something more obscure, which will then derail your entire effort. But, you know, that's I, I'm a chaos engine. What can I say? <laughs> we, well, this this uh, podcast runs on chaos theory. That's how, that's how I get through. So uh, uh, it won't be unusual. And if anybody out there is desperately seeking something more obscure than uh, that book on Munster, then uh, perhaps uh, we need to have a conversation about it. Uh, gentlemen, again, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating. As ever, um, I, I just encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. Uh, I support you wholeheartedly in the changes that uh, you've, you've come up with to ensure the longevity of the podcast. And I just hope that it continues for many years to come um i may i don't know if i mentioned on air I've, I've got a rather big birthday coming up on tuesday that i'm trying to forget about but uh, i turned 50 on on tuesday if you can keep me perhaps going through till i'm 60 then it'd be greatly appreciated so just a, a decade's worth of content ahead of you okay well that's not too much to ask but happy birthday happy, yes happy birthday sean <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, gents, yep. So we shall speak again in the near future. Thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Sean. Thanks again to Steve and Greg for giving up their time to talk to me and look out for more members of the Little Wars channel in the future, hopefully. Okay, a quick shout out to Tiny Wargaming at tinywargames.co.uk. They make gaming mats in all shapes, sizes and themes for you to game on. And following an inquiry last week, they now do mats in a fleece material. They very kindly sent me out a snowy landscape mat to examine. And I have to say the material is lovely and the print exceptional. If you're looking for a fleece gaming mat, check them out. And the mat is on its way back to you next week, guys. So thanks very much for letting me have a look at it. Not a lot of hobby to discuss, although I did spend a very pleasant evening with the guys at Exploding 8, chatting and painting over Messenger. Thanks to Steve and Tom for the company. I'm hopefully speaking to Steve uh, in the not too distant future as he has just embarked on a six mil project of his own that uh, I'd like to chat to him about. I managed to crack on with a few buildings from Leven and Battlescale for my Mons game and I'll try and post some pictures up when I get a chance. The decorating is almost finished at home so I can at last look forward to swapping the six inch brush for a more comfortable size one 
and get on with painting my little men. I really need to push on with the Antietam project uh, so that will be the focus for the autumn and winter months leading up to Christmas. When I'll get to take any of these projects down to the club, well, who knows. A short advert for the Patreon campaign. I've been blown away by the response to my requests for support. To each and every one of my patriots, thank you. Your help is invaluable. And a new microphone is very close. I'm hoping by the time of the next podcast after my chat with Peter, on Monday hopefully, I'll have one, so prepare your ears for some improved sound. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting me in this venture to bring wargaming and history to your ears, to while away the hours, either on a long commute or to accompany you whilst painting your figures. You can do so by clicking on the link in the show notes or following the link at patreon.com forward slash God's Own Scale. Okay, that's all for now. As ever, thanks for listening. Please feel free to get in touch via Twitter at God's Own Scale or email at God's Own Scale at gmail.com. I'll always try and reply as soon as possible to any messages that come through, and that includes uh, to the Patreons as well. Right, I am off to watch She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. Keep safe, play nice, and keep talking. About six. Brother Bertie went away to do his bit the other day. With the smile on his lips and his left hand and pips upon his shoulder, right and gay. As the train moved out, he said, Remember me to all the birds. Then he wagged his paw and went away to war, shouting out these pathetic words. Goodbye, goodbye. Oh, I'm a dear baby, dear from your eye. Though it's hard to pass, I know, I know. I'll be single the death we don't cry. Don't die. There's a silver lining in the sky. Oh, ma, oh, sin, kill, yo, chin, chin, na, boo, toogaloo, goodbye. Compass down at you, some convalescent dressed in blue. Had to hear Lady Lee, who had turned 83, sing all the old, old songs she knew. Then she made a speech and said, I look upon you boys with pride. And for what you've done, I'm going to kiss each one. Then they all grabbed their sticks and cried. Goodbye. Hooray! As he ran for the Dutch frontier. Goodbye, goodbye. 
good sight. Oh, I see you, baby, dear, from your eyes. Though it's hard to pass, I know, I know. I'll be nickel and to go, don't cry, don't cry. There's a silver lining in the sky. On far, all things stereo, you 